Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's bonus episode of The Full 60. I am sitting at USA Hockey Arena in Plymouth, Michigan. Uh, If you're not familiar, once a month we have agreed, actually not we, the prospect writers at The Athletic, Scott Wheeler and Corey Promen, have agreed to join The Full 60 in a completely bonus episode to give us the latest uh, lay of the land with the prospects. Scott Wheeler led it off last month. If you haven't listened to that episode, I would strongly recommend it. He was great. Um, go back and listen to it if you haven't. I think it still still stands up. This month, Corey Promen is sitting to my right. We're doing this one in person because we can. And as we always tend to do, it's on location somewhere. This is much safer, Corey, than last time, I would say. What was last time? I was oh. in a car oh, right. at 3 Sweden. in the morning oh, in yeah. Sweden. Oh, yeah. Wasn't it last time you were on the podcast? That was, right? Has yeah. it been that long? I forgot. And regardless, though, that was an extremely eventful podcast. Eventful um, in that we didn't die? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that always makes a podcast more enjoyable when the hosts are in moral danger. <laughs> it, does, it does add a, a little bit, I don't know, if conflict or stress. It's good. I think you want your listeners stressed out. I would, say, I would say, though, that may not be the most stressed out our listeners were in a podcast. I think the one where we recorded in a busy street at a sub shop in... Troy, Michigan, where people just heard honkings from trucks and stuff the whole time. That was the one where I got a call from Chris Johnson who said, I love the podcast with Corey Promen, but I was listening on my bike and I kept turning my head because you guys were recording in traffic. So, I'm so, so yeah. I am sorry for causing our listeners such dire stress. Yes. But so now I, I, I'm, let me set the scene a little bit. Corey and I are in one of the suites at the at this rink this is the the u18 team is practicing in front of us the americans um so if you hear some shouting they seem like they're having a good time today some some if you hear any pucks and noises in the background we will blame the national team development program for that um corey what's the down and dirty scouting report of this team who do we need to pay attention to uh, off this group here the u18s i think you know it's it's a solid team it's not at the same level as the old ones were last year, where they had all those really high first round picks. Um, but you know they are they're winning games and they they just won their latest international tournament. So there's some good players here. I think Matt Beniers, who's who's two years away, would be their top prospect. Um, the Harvard commit, Jake Sanderson, the defenseman, about to go in the first round. Ty Smelanik's getting some first round attention right now. Uh, I, I still think there's going to be there's a lot of debate going on about various players here. Um, but uh, those are the top guys that come to mind right away for me matt benears who must have been 14 when he played on the u18 team in sweden that we saw right he's he's a lato he's a lato too so that when he was playing uh, he played on the u18 team while he was uh two and a half years away from his draft since it's going to be not this season but the following season when he's at harvard that's pretty crazy yeah, uh, it's it's unusual. It's it's slightly unusual. I mean, the the late birthday high end prospects um, are very interesting when they're playing here just because they get so overanalyzed. I think Seth Jones was here as a late birthday. Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, um, and, and then uh, next year's Jack Hughes, not the Jack Hughes in New Jersey, but the next Jack Hughes, who's also a really good prospect, is a late birthday, and won't be eligible until he's at college as well. Um. So where does uh, Matt project as a player? You see, you know, he's draft eligible in two drafts. Yeah, I wouldn't say like he's like a high, high end, like top 
two top three kind of guy, but I'd say he's solidly in my top ten right now in terms of that that, that kind of caliber of prospect. Um, not like an elite speed or skill guy, but he definitely has speed and skill, really smart, really competitive. He started off the season a little slow, but he's been great of late. I saw some game. I saw a game of his last week where I thought he was the best player on the ice, uh, really well-rounded player. Um, all right. The other scouting report I wanted to get from you before we really dig in, we've got a couple topics that we're going to hit on here, but um, – in an upset at the athletic holiday party, you really hit it off with my one-year-old puppy, Burlington. Yes. Gave, gave, gave Burley an 80 on your scale. That's pretty high for a puppy. Yeah, yes, well, that's because your quote-unquote puppy, I think, is taller <laughs> than you already. <laughs> it's, it's, Burlington has everything. Size is already 80 pounds. We had no idea. What, just for the record, the backstory there is we got – this is a – golden doodle so the golden retriever poodle dog that i i don't think i did a lot of research on this was a spur of the moment adoption for the kids a year ago and this dog is humongous yeah no i think if i was like standing on its two feet on its two paws like it would be at least six feet six feet tall like (laughs) but elite size i would say elite personality yeah no he's he's engaging he's always in the he's always in the mix of things (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good speed you didn't get to see the speed but when burlington gets a bead on like a squirrel oh no he nearly uh, he, he's strong too nearly just threw a table and just <laughs> r- flipped it right over what he what he walked <laughs> elite yeah so elite strength and elite uh, good listener like fairly well trained for a puppy you know he, he, he's got top two round potential for sure <laughs> all right good that's really why i came out here was to do that do that bit about my dog. Uh, it was good. Good to have Corey. We had the Athletic Detroit crew over for our holiday party, and it's awesome. It's always this is all of the um, we all get along as a staff. All of this stuff you, when you hear it on the podcast, it's it's all very sincere, and we had a good time. Um, and along those lines, one of my favorite things in life to do is with Corey, and I think we've done this on the podcast in the past, is to go over his failures. Um, really, like. Not just read them as he does so honestly and with so much transparency in the athletic, but really just relive them, um, kind of twist the knife if we can. And one of my favorite pieces that Corey does every year is is the NHL prospects I was wrong about. And I, I think this is a good piece. We, we actually were – we had that um, – conference call with the other writers and we were talking about doing this in other you know i've kicked it around with trade grades or free agency you know it's, it's good to be transparent it's good to assess what we get wrong how many years have you been doing this Corey? this Getting is going wrong. to be my 11th year writing about players and how many times have you said okay i'm gonna write like every it's it's, it's become a yearly story for you. yeah ever since i joined espn espn was pretty big on that concept they i think it worked well on the baseball and the football side yeah i don't know about the football side but i know they did on the baseball side and i thought it was a very good idea um not only just because people seem to like it but i thought for myself it really helped me uh ever since i've done it i've, re- I've, I've learned that it really helps me like really understand my thought processes my biases and just honestly just try to just to learn and improve myself. So in general terms, having done this as long as you have, what what have you changed in terms of what you're looking for as a result of going back and examining uh, your hits and misses? I mean, the, I, that could be a whole other podcast in, in itself to well, that question. You don't but, have to, you know, but, you could I, 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 I will try to do some bullet points here. I would say one is, and we'll get into this in certain examples, 
is just even though I've always prided myself on on my work ethic and how much hockey I watch and how many people I talk to, yeah, is just you have to really just devote yourself to really understanding these players. You can't just watch a guy a couple of times. You can't just make a couple of phone calls. You've got to really be on top of things um, and make sure you you haven't missed something. Um, the second thing I think would just be expanding what, what I'm looking for in a player. I think as I've gotten more experienced and gotten to know, know more hockey people, I've gotten to understand how to evaluate skating better just from mm. talking to people who are skating coaches and understanding how, how to project that tool. I've gotten to appreciate players' games off the puck a little bit more, understanding uh, the value of physical play, of how hard players do when players do or do not do not compete for pucks and how to identify that and what the value of that is. Um, I got to, and those would be the main things that come to mind uh, and just understanding how to balance all these variables. And that's the hardest thing. I think, yeah. I think a lot of even NHL scouts will struggle with. Like we get all this information, whether, you know, identifying players skill, their brains, their compete level, their skating, uh, um, you know, what their production is, uh, you know, who they're playing with, uh, what leagues they're playing and how old they are. And we get all this information, how they do at various tournaments and just learning how to balance all that information. I think I've done a better job at it. Yeah. I could be wrong. I may have been, I may have gotten worse for all I know, but I think that those have been the main things that I've tried to incorporate in, into the way I do things. And that I've learned over the last few years. Um, all right. That's 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 interesting, and it's uh, you know that's I think that's an important part of being an evaluator is to say okay, what are my biases? What are you know what? Yeah, like I think for a, a long time I just purely overvalued skill in hockey sense, and I think yeah. those are t- still two most important things in a player. But I think you got to be a little more holistic in your approach. I think I probably overvalued statistics at some point, although in the case of say like a Casey Middlestad, I may have underrated underrated his statistics in, in some sense. Uh, well, and we'll get to that. Obviously, when we get into our discussion. Okay. Um, but yeah, but those would be some of the main biases I've had to fight. And sometimes, like, I think sometimes when guys get described as, like, a two-way gritty player, like, sometimes when I was, like, younger, like, my eyes would kind of roll, like, oh, okay, so that means he's not good. So, <laughs> but, but, but you can be gritty and two-way and still have attributes that lead to you being a great player, you know. You know, Brady Kachuk is not an elite skill and speed guy. Yeah. But he's super smart and he competes and he's big, he's strong, he competes as hard as anybody out there. And he's a he- he's a heck of a hockey player. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's valuable. Right. And that's that's it's an interesting one um, because I think when you looked at the top of that draft, not to get sidetracked, but a guy like Zadina was so like Philip Zadina was so. Um, you know, you, you'd watch him, and it was easy to see what he would bring. And, he's, a doing, and star. he's doing well since he's been called up, mind you. He actually has been good. Yeah. yeah. And this isn't a, an indictment, but I would just say if you would have asked me going into that draft, who would I rather have on my team between those two players, I'd have been like, I like the upside of Zadina. Oh, and there were plenty of teams I talked to that thought it was Zadina in a heartbeat. Like, there's yeah. like, oh, Kachuk doesn't have the upside kind of thing. But there were also plenty of people I talked to who absolutely adored Kachuk and thought he was going to be exactly what he's been so far for Ottawa. Right. Um, all right. So let's, if, if you want to follow along, if you're access, if you have access to the athletic app or uh, on a desktop, this is Corey Promen's NHL Prospects. I was wrong about 2019 edition. And the big one, the photo at the top of the page, the guy that's taking the league by storm, who has won the hearts of all of the fans and in Colorado. Li- and the likely Calder Trophy winner. Likely Calder Trophy winner, Kale McCarr, Colorado defenseman. Um, 
he is uh, what a, what a season he's had. It's it's fun to watch him go through town, and you see like the opposing beat writer. Like I, I think it happened with Minnesota and Russo, like just tweeting about him. Like holy cow, is this kid unbelievable? You know, how could anyone not like him? How could how could you not just see this? It's so obvious. His skill just leaps off the ice. Um, what, what did you? What, what were your assessment of him as draft year? Like, what, I, I'm sure you weren't like this guy can't play. No, I had him as like a like a, I think I had him around like I had him in the like you know I think around 15, 14 okay. or something like that. I forget the, probably the exact number, but I had him like a mid first, so obviously way off. But like, um, I think there was a couple of things that played into that. Like, I watched him and you saw like okay, wow, great skater, great skill, makes plays. Like, you saw him. I saw watched a few of his AJHL games, watched him at the World Junior A Challenge. You're like, oh yeah, this guy is really talented, and I think that's. That goes into some of the things I was talking about before in terms of the things I've had to improve on. I think Kale was more of a just accumulation of just all those things coming together in one player. Yeah. Because um, he played his entire season in the AJHL, um, and that's been something that I've learned to prioritize more um, over the years has been making sure I'm watching anybody who's good. you got to devote a ton of time to them. Right. Um, not to make excuses, but at the time of that draft, I was I was only working part time, um, and this so I really had to like prioritize my time in terms of what I could and couldn't watch. Yeah. Um, but that's an excuse. Like I still had to, if I was going to hold myself as a, as a professional, I needed to devote a lot of time to to watch him, and I didn't spend like you know I, I watched maybe like seven of his games that yeah. year, and I yeah. thought he was pretty good, and like you know really skilled obviously. But I was like talking to like NHL folks like, oh yeah, this guy could be like a first overall second overall kind of pick like he's dynamic like game breaker like the things you see now like right and i thought you know i watched five six of the games i thought he was pretty good i wasn't like blown away wow like he's an older player he's a late birth date um yeah you know his aj statistics in his 17 year old season weren't all that amazing um there were just a lot of like preconceived biases in the way i was doing things that i think just led to me underrating just how dynamic he was and i probably just didn't do the amount of homework i really needed to do into that player where you know nhl scouts were watching this guy every day for like two years and at the world junior a and then at the rbc and then at the, and the rbc cup and just all at all kinds of levels he was he was really thoroughly evaluated and i just really didn't do that kind of homework yeah um which, which combined with my i guess my my biases possibly against the aj and against older players uh, which is something i've learned to I still think it's important whether a player is the, among the older or younger in his draft class is important. Right. But it's something that is like a, a statistical factor that I've probably overrated in the past. Um, I think that all led to me not being as high on Makar as I probably should have been. Now, in your defense, in, in, and you mentioned this, you did uh, somewhere along the line you reported that he was getting consideration for the number one overall pick I, or he I was thought, going to be picked number I one. I reported – again, this was just a great draft for me. I reported that I thought New Jersey was taking him first overall. <laughs> okay. Which I want, you know, we don't know. Maybe they were. They should have. I thought they were. <laughs> I had, I had reason to believe they were. Yeah, yeah. I was wrong, obviously. Right, right. But I mean, that I, at least there was, you know, some indication. Okay, teams were looking at this guy as a high-end guy. If you're redoing that draft and you're New Jersey, he's in the conversation. Like, I probably would still take Pedersen because I think the number one center is. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think I prefer the number one center over the number one D, but. No, he's in the conversation. Like those, it's him. It's you know, it's those two Emiro Heiskanen. Like that's the conver- That's the conversation you would need to have. Yes, which brings us to the the next guy on your list, Miro Heiskanen, who um, I, I don't feel like was as egregious yeah. as Makar, and like that's like a funny one because like 
like when I was when he was like 16, like he wasn't getting like top five, top ten hype, and I was around that point on him. Yeah. And then I didn't move like off the top five, top ten, and then now I got labeled as like a high skin and hater. <laughs> you did, yeah. Yes. Stars fans. Yeah, and I've always said like I thought he was like a top pair, just not a star, and now he's a star. So I was off. Like he's he's a he's a monster. Like he's a, right. he's a, he's a great player. And I think that's more. That one was less. Like I watched him a ton. Like I've seen him live like twenty times. I've watched him on video plenty of times. Like I did all my homework there. Um, that because he was played in major leagues, major competitions. Like right. that, that one you couldn't you didn't you never you couldn't not watch the guy. Uh, that one I think was just more along the way he played is a way that I like I said before I told you like the things that I've learned to just appreciate which was like skill players um and he is skill but like it's elite skating he's an elite two-way defenseman um that's been a guy who stylistically and I've actually had NHL teams tell me that like hey Corey like we think you're doing a really good job identifying the offensive guys the skill right. guys but you need to do a better job identifying the two-way defenseman like you're struggling at that yeah. I've had people tell me that, and I think that one is an example of that. I think that's a hard thing to identify. No, it takes time and experience. Um, I mean, some of the stuff that's like sometimes it's basic. Like if you just see a guy like flopping around the defensive zone, like you know, there's says that point, point <laughs> right. out to you. But like, uh, but it's it's a challenge. It's something I think I've gotten a lot better at, and I think something that I'm incorporating into my game and like not my game into the way I do things, um, like. Start talking like an athlete there for a second. Yeah, wow. Uh, but like you know, like I your you know, game, I, your game being yeah, no, evaluating prospects. Sure, <laughs> but like I watched like Detroit's Mort Sider in the AHL this season. He's yeah. not a really flashy player, but I think he's a heck of a hockey player, and he's looked awesome this season. And but he's not a high end skill type. And I know some people who don't were worried about him still because of that. But I also know some guys who think he's going to be a stud. And I'm not sure. Like I would probably take him like top three, top five. But I think like around six seven like where he was where would, be, him, yeah. would be pretty reasonable although i still have a while to consider that before i put out my next prospect rankings but like he's he's looked like a really good player just because he's such a well-rounded physical mobile smart hockey player the the argument that i liked with that pick was in and i mean you know like the big right shot d like that's the guy everybody's always trying to get so if yeah, you're not going to try to draft one at six and you know you may not get one ever. yeah he's a really good player like, I said, like there's still some guys i'm looking at that draft that was available at that spot that i may have preferred whether talking you know D- dylan cousins may- maybe yeah. cole coffee like there's some guys that i just really adore zegris wasn't zegris yeah zegris was another guy who's in that mix for me yeah but i'm not sure what what order i put them in but, but i just i think like i think he's reasonably in that discussion uh, what order you want to put him in? I think that's up for debate. But I think when you see like how he's played in the American League this year, I think he's shown he's definitely reasonably in that discussion. And I think that's been. I don't think I would have said that about Mort Sider uh, five years ago. I think that's been an evolution in the way I look at players. Right, and like, and like also, like nobody wants to talk about organizational need because you're not supposed to draft for organizational need. But if you're the Detroit Red Wings and you're three years into this process and you still don't have a bona fide defenseman that you're excited about in your system. Like, you and you're weighing Cole Caulfield. Well, maybe you take the defenseman there versus the winger who you already have a few of. It's a fair All argument, right. and I and I don't know exactly if that's what went to Detroit's process or not. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't. I, I haven't, yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard. I, I haven't heard anything on on that lines. But I yeah. just think that's you know, Sider is is a is a really good player. But I but I also don't think he's an incredibly flashy player. So are we, we're, you're not ready to say he's going to be on your 2020 prospects that got wrong list? I don't think I was like super low on him. I didn't have him yeah. at six where they picked him, but like 
and I, I definitely was lower him at the draft. I've come up on him a lot since, though. I got towards that range. Like I, you could, you could argue I was off on him for sure. Okay. Well, we'll do that next year. Sure. Um, and I'm not going to go down through this whole list to relive, but I do. Here's, you know, I want to talk some high profile because we're talking about a New York New York Rangers prospect next, Niels Lundqvist. Is that how we pronounce that? Niels Lundqvist. Niels Lundqvist. I have a hard time with the KV sound. Um, 28th overall pick in 2018. What did you say at the time? I thought he was a mediocre prospect. I watched him when he was a draft eligible. Watched him a ton. I watched him in his league play in the SHL. I watched him in his junior league. I watched him international play. I thought fine mobility, fine skill, pretty good smarts, small defenseman, nothing special here. Like maybe he plays kind of thing. And then the year after, like that really didn't change. Like I would talk to NHL scouts, a friend of mine who would be watching the SHL, and they're like, "Yeah, he looks, he looks, he's been fine here. Yeah, World Juniors, he was just, he was pretty average. And then like this season, he just goes off. Like he's dominating the the, the SHL right now for right. a teenage defenseman. And I would never have seen that coming. And I think that go. He is not a super flashy player, so I think that goes into the same things I was talking about with Heiskin and Insider. Like, yeah. He's not as big as them, and I think that was one thing I was th- you, you would be thinking about, but he just has such great hockey sense. Uh, the skating is definitely better than I thought it was. I don't know if, I could, if it's improved or not, or if I just mis-evaluated. I think that's, that's up for debate. Um, but that's, that was one where, yeah, I mean, whether or not he plays that well in the NHL, I mean, where he is as a prospect now, I never thought he'd be, like hovering near a point of game defenseman as a ni- point of game as a 19-year-old defenseman for right. the SHL like that's right. that was beyond what I thought he was going to be able to achieve. Anybody jumping out at you at this game you're watching right in front of us? Um n- nothing no? nothing in particular. It's no. hard to tell. I don't I need some jersey numbers. All right. Um let's talk about a uh, let's go Flyers prospect here. Sure. Um because you, I know the Flyers fans and you have, have a long uh history of How's that going? Where where you at with Flyers fans? I feel like we're getting along a little bit better now. Okay. I, you know, I, I said nice things about the said, I said nicer things about the most recent draft. Yeah. I still have not said that Carter Hart is their Lord and Savior. <laughs> You're not. Yeah. That's, I, that's I, what they're waiting for, Corey. I, I do think he is a pretty good player. Okay. And, and you're gonna see. And I'm gonna. And I'm gonna say in like my most the recent column is gonna come out in a few days. Yeah. You know that I think like he's the the equivalent. Like you got the guy in like mid low second. And I think if you redid that draft, he's probably like a mid first, which is good. Which is a pretty good value. Yeah. But it's just not like Lord and Savior okay. level. Like I think he's gonna be a pretty solid starting goalie. I'm not sure he's a star. All right. Okay, We're, we'll, we'll keep checking back every year on that one. I know, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure that anytime he makes like a highlight reel save, I have to turn off my Twitter because like. <laughs> uh, so the the prospect, the Flyers prospect that you say you weren't high enough on was Joel Farabee, who went number 14 overall in 2018. Right, and, and now is a very quality player for the Flyers at a, as a 19-year-old. Yeah. And, um, what, and what he becomes, you know, we'll see, but – I mean, I was 50-50 on whether he should have been a first-round pick in his draft year, uh, which was definitely way off. I came up on him when he started college, but like yeah. that opinion was definitely off. And I, you know, and I, and that wasn't due to lack of homework. Like I must have seen him live like 20, 30 times, which goes to show that even when you watch a guy a bunch of times, that's no, that's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get him right. Yeah. Um, that, and I just saw a guy. I just didn't think the skill was all that special. I just didn't see. High, that, that great skating like I just thought he was 
pretty smart and a hard worker. And I wasn't the only one in the industry that thought that. Like, I knew a lot of NHL people who agreed with that, but I also knew a lot who thought I was crazy for having such an opinion. Yeah. And I'm pretty, I, I can't say whether the Flyers were or not, but I'm pr- obviously they were very high on him. They picked him 14th overall. Yeah, I think it's safe to say yes. without any inside yes, knowledge exactly. that they were high on him. Yes, exactly. And, you know, and I, you know, the, the people who are high on him are like, Corey, he's definitely got high on skill. Like, just because he's playing with Jack Hughes and Oliver Wallstrom all the time, like doesn't mean he's not not plenty of skill. Then he goes to BU and scoring like there's like a highlight reel moment every second week or something yeah. like that, and goes to the World Juniors. He's great there, and that was just one I got wrong, and I just probably just misevaluated the skill level, which is probably the one part of my of how I do things. Is I think I'm pretty good at. Um, but I really just screwed that one up. So I think role is an interesting thing to talk about just for a second here. And especially when it comes to the development team program kids, because I look at a guy like John Beecher last year is a good example of a guy ends up being a first round pick and, but he wasn't going to be getting a ton of power play time or whatever. There was more skilled players in front of him. I don't think, I don't think he got power play time toward most of that second half. Right. So like, had he played on a different team, maybe the evaluation of him is completely different. But I, like, I, I think this program that we're sitting here watching maybe makes makes evaluation challenging at times. I yeah. would guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, and we'll see what happens with a lot of those guys. But like, the Devils, Patrick Monahan is an example of a guy who really didn't get a whole lot of prime ice time in the second half of that season, and he goes to Providence, and all of a sudden he's one of their better players. Yeah. Um, you know, we play on a very deep team. That is a factor. Um, and you, you see it all, all, all the time. I mean, I remember like when Christian Dvorak was with London. You know, he didn't play that much, but he's a good NHL player right now. After being a second-round pick, um, it is, it is a, it is, it is a really tough variable to assess um, when you're going through that process. All right, let's do one more. Actually, let's, let's, do, the oh. one, let's do the ones we were, I was too high on. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was saying. Let's 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 shift down because we do want to hit on uh, another piece you did. The ones you were too high on, um, you looped Casey Middlestat and Henrik Borgstrom together. Um, and again, it's I think at some level, you, you may be being hard on yourself here because it's still early, right? Like there's it's completely reasonable to say one of these two guys turns out to be just fine. But let's talk about this. And, and I think both of them will be fine. But I thought when both of them were leaving college – and I believe both of them left around the same time. I might be mistaken, though, um, that I thought they would be, like, really impact players in the mm-hmm. National Hockey League. And, and, and that's wrong. And both are kind of uh, fascinating for, from my perspective of trying to give opinions on players in that you probably could have argued in their draft seasons I was probably too low on both of them. Yeah. I think I had Casey in the mid-first, and I didn't, I didn't really know Bolstrom at all. Like, and then that was more just – le- he was a hard guy for me to watch at the time. I didn't really have enough video on him, and that was more my, my fault. But um, – and then like about, about a year or so later, I was super high on them after watching Casey, um, watching with the U20 camps in the summer, watching with Minnesota, watching with the World Juniors – and Borgstrom and watching him in Denver, and uh, I thought, like, oh, these are these are elite skilled players. Yeah. And then, obviously, you know, both are now in the American League um, after not great tenures in the NHL. And both of my – I lumped them both together because they both have, I think, similar strengths and flaws. They're both elite with the puck. Both yeah. have great hands, great hockey sense. Um, inside the offensive zone, they can really make plays, but they lack, you know, a lot of pace in their game. Um, there's a lot, there's inconsistencies in their game. Um, 
and I think you could have argued like they were both like not they never really been like dominant players anywhere they've went. Hmm. Like Casey was pretty good in high school and he was pretty good in the USHL, but he was, even though he was the leading scorer in terms of points per game in his draft year when he was in the USHL, he wasn't like dominating that league. He yeah. was like um college he didn't he wasn't you know amazing borkstrom was pretty good like he was a top player in college but like he wasn't like a hobie baker winner he didn't have a great world juniors he wasn't he didn't kill it when he was in finland um and i think that you know i remember at the time uh when i said casey Millstad was the top prospect in hockey like you know people would rightfully point out well he's not producing in college how could he be the top prospect in hockey yeah and it was a completely fair argument, it and, out. and you know it's a completely you know it is, and right. and and you and you know I had a million of those debates with with NHL scouts I knew, and you know I think around like February or March after that World Juniors, you could have asked like eight or nine out of ten NHL scouts, and they would have said he's going to be a stud, and right. there'd be like one or two who'd be like, yeah, but what he's doing in college kind of worries me, kind of thing, right, right, um, from what I've talked, to. and that's that's an appeal to authority. It's still. I still have to own my own opinion, and I thought he was going to be he he was an elite prospect, uh, but that was a warning flag that I took seriously, but probably didn't, didn't take as seriously as you probably should have for a number one overall prospect. Right. Um, okay. This next one, I was actually surprised to see on the list because if I would have pegged you as a in in evaluating Lawson Kraus, I probably would have guessed you weren't high on him. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the more debated top 20 picks of the last decade i would say right because is and, and he ended up not he ended up going in a slot where it doesn't look like i mean it looks bad in hindsight because of all the guys that went after him like barzil shabbat connor <laughs> besser matt you know right. etc but like at the time like it, like that really started to become a divisive name when there was like discussions of him going like third or fourth overall kind right. of thing which would have looked really bad in hindsight now only, only looks now only looks kind of really bad but right. but at the time i that's one area where i've learned to have to really calibrate would be play with an international team okay so like he went up in november and um, are you familiar with the canada russia series yeah you know he came up in that in that November Canada Russia series as a 17 year old and he was one of the best 17 year olds I've, I've seen at that event for a Canadian like he was he impacted that game and then he went to the World Juniors as a 17 year old for Canada and he looked like a solid player not like a top player but a solid player which is unusual for a 17 year old like you know the, the 17 year olds like for Canada at this year's event are going to be you know Quinton Byfield and that's it right like, you know that's, right. it's not it's pretty unusual and so that, that was a bias, even though he did not have high-end skill. He did not have high-end sense. He was just big, pretty good skater, some skill, worked hard. And that's where I get in, that when I talked before about how to balance all the variables. That's another example of, like, the international performance was really impressive. He had a track record that was good, not great, but did not have a skill set that screamed top prospect, did not have a statistical performances that screamed top prospect. Right. Um, and I, I still like the player, but I clearly he is, you know, I did not probably incorporate as much of the skill factors that I needed to, and I was probably biased by the international performances, um, which again is I still think is important. You know, when I'm going to the World Juniors next week. I still think that tournament is very important, um, but it, uh, you have to learn to give it only so much weight. Right. 
and I, you know, for the record, you're you're not like you're not alone in making those mistakes, right? Like you see scouts all the time judge guys uh, on the right, uh, but one not, way or the other on the World Junior, right? But we're not doing the mistakes that everybody else makes. We're doing the mistakes that I made. Podcast. No, I didn't. <laughs> but, 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 but but no, listen, it's. I will say, and I know pe- there's a lot of people who push back on this that are among, not in the scout community, but some of them. I talked to one last night, actually, who was making this point. But like a lot of our readers will say that international tournaments are overrated. Yeah. And I can say, from my experience, having watched these tournaments year after year, that if you put them in the proper context in terms of like not being like, don't overweigh everything, really look at how they play, look what team they're playing on, um, what you know if they're underages or not if you put everything in the right context they can be very good predictors of future nhl performance they're not perfect though right and i say you have to be only so much weight in them but i definitely think international performance is a very important variable when when evaluating prospects yeah it's funny like someone will trade for a guy that doesn't produce that'll be like 30 and you'll talk to someone in the they'll be like oh but i remember him in uh Buffalo back in whatever at the world like they they still reference performances right in it's like I said I yeah you, know, you got to be careful with that kind of stuff yeah um I probably wouldn't try to remember the tournament from six years ago but it's it's important I still do think it's important and I it's just about how important it is who's a who's a player that blew you away in a tournament that. It just hasn't panned out. Is there any, any version of that? A guy who you're like, holy cow, this guy is just killing it in this tournament, and then we never heard from him again. Oh any yeah. Thoughts oh, on him? No, oh, there's oh, there's been plenty. I mean, let's see. There's there's one that comes to mind. It was a Buffalo pick. Um, it was at the U20 Summer Tournament. Oh yeah, you're, you'll never you have, you'll never have heard of this guy. Name is <laughs> name is Gustav Posler. Uh, we was, he was oh, in, the he, 2013 draft. I remember yeah, that kid. The U, he was a fifth, <laughs> fifth round pick. Uh, went to the U20 summer camp, and he was awesome. I think that yeah. was I think that was the same one that like Teravine was that. I might be for, might be mistaken, but yeah, he was like a, like a top top player there. Like, oh my god, this guy looks like a top prospect. Yeah, and you never hear from him again. I wonder if the uh, the Saber Scout they're probably like just take a flyer on this guy in the fifth round. He was so good. No, no, no. This was after they drafted. Oh, that was after. They, oh, they drafted right. him, and then I think it was a oh, year then or Never two mind. Later. Then they don't have it. No, don't, no, no, don't worry about that. Do you want to talk about anything else from this piece before we move on? Any any closing thoughts on the prospects you were wrong about? No, I think we I, th- I think we established that enough pretty well. <laughs> no. All right. The second piece I want to get at is it's oh I like this one because it's almost like the you know the cousin of the picks I got wrong. It's it's an honest uh, audit. Oh, there, go there, ahead. Because there's a lot of players we just discussed that were discussing this one too. So we don't need to we don't need to re we don't need to we don't need to rehash. Um, so I'm gonna so what you do after every single draft is you grade them, which yes. is you know it's it's the same as a trade grade. Like we're not gonna know for years if this was a so. It's it's a hard exercise, anyways. And people in the industry get really upset about those. About your like grades, not, yeah. Not the, not the trade grades. I don't know how well, people. Like, I, I hear from people; they don't yeah. always agree with them. Yeah, yeah but the draft grades too. I'm sure you hear like same arguments, like, "Oh, you have to wait a few years to 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 to, to, to judge." They them. do, but I'm sorry, we don't have that luxury as journalists. And, and they don't have that. And they don't have that luxury as decision makers. They don't get to say, you know, like, <laughs> right. you know, we'll, we'll wait a few years to make this decision. Like, you know, you're making decisions based on information you have now. And right. I think it's fair to evaluate the decisions based on the information you had now. And that's what, you know, I'm giving my opinions based on the players and you give your opinions based on the players. 
I'm looking over some. So, you, so you grade right after the draft. Yeah. And now we are whatever it is. A couple years later, this we're looking at the 2017 draft again. This is on the Athletic. You can check it out in the app. The easiest way, this is a complete aside, is just get the app and you can follow writers individually. So go ahead and follow Corey Promen. You'll get all his work into your feed along with the teams that you follow. It's a great five-star app. Download it, download it now. Is that a good enough plug in the company? It and, is. And so Corey grades after the draft and then he's come back and he's regraded each team's. I see a lot of like B plus to B, Bs, B minus to Bs. I don't know how were you were you being nice to yourself? I, I haven't. Um, there's some there's some teams that take leaps. I mean, I I'm think trying to I, find a I, really. I, I, try, I try to huge. think. That, I try to think I'm not I'm not like dramatically off. I try. I like to think that I am semi competent at what I do, despite what the last hour has sounded like. I'll tell you what. Um, I so this Detroit. Let's start with the Detroit Red Wings because that was this was um the first draft when after we launched the Athletic Detroit. So I was very much analyzing this one in the moment and that, this was the one where they had a million picks and and i wrote a story the next day they, they basically like every guy they took they they seemed to reach on and it was one of those in the moment where you're like boy i don't know if they really got enough value for all these picks they, they made you gave them a b minus which has turned out to be generous i would say and like they, they, I don't even think they signed half of these guys. No, that, that was the B minus at the time. That's right, at the time. Now you're regrade. Why don't you talk about what you see now from that class? Well, they didn't sign most of those players. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I don't know if most is a. They uh, did. A few, they did sign a few of them. No, they didn't. Like I, I'm pretty sure they didn't sign like most. They, they, no, they, they might not. They, they, they can see this because they, they, that was what like a seven. That was like a ten-player draft. Yeah. So they didn't sign Zablocki. Didn't sign Gallant. Didn't sign Frazier. Didn't sign Webb. Didn't oh sign my Gilmore. Gosh, you're right. So that's not. That's. I don't know a lot about prospects. That's not great if you don't it, sign seventy percent of your draft class. Well, they signed. Yeah. Well, they haven't signed about 50%, fifty percent. And you know, Cockinsolo, Petrozelli. Setkov and Adams are still out there, but like knowing those players, like maybe one gets an NHL contract. Like it basically comes down to Rasmussen and, and Lindstrom. It does. So I would say the one flyer I remember liking at the time was the goalie. Is he not what, Keith Petrozelli? He, he hasn't quite. No, he okay. had no. Nah, he's he's. I mean, he's been fine, but like he's not like he's like he's like he's like a maybe sign. Yeah, we'll see how he does, kind of thing. Um, you know it it. It does come down to Rasmussen, who I still think, you know, if we redo that draft, he's not going top ten. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's going like dramatically lower. Like he's like he's been pretty good in the American League when I've watched him this right. season. Um, that said, he is in the American League. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's probably not where you want your top ten pick to be. You know, a couple of years later, but yeah. it doesn't mean his career is over. Like I still think he's going to be a very useful, maybe even a good middle six forward. You know, right. He's pretty smart. He's got some skill. Obviously, extremely big. Um, not a game breaker, but like he's a good player, though. Yeah, you, your regrade was a C minus in this one. Like you said, it's gonna. So Rasmus, the, the at the time, because I was following so closely in Detroit, the debate was Velarde, the kid, the Kings drafted versus Rasmussen. Um, it, where where does that fight stand now? A couple years later, uh, that's. I, I would take Rasmussen over Velarde. I think Velarde. Really? I think right. Velarde is the better player, talent-wise. But he, he like just he's missed so much time due to injury. Like, 
And this is a tough area for me to get to delve into because as much as I try to learn about sports and learn about hockey, like the medical stuff still yeah. is, is still kind of stuff I'm not really confident about. So like I, I have polled NHL people like, okay, what would you, you know, Kings call you tomorrow, offer you Velarde, what are you offering back? And they'd mm. be like, you know, like most a third round pick, like, you know, like yeah. second maybe, but like, you know, just because they just feel like he needs to prove that he can stay healthy yeah. for more than a few months. Um, Otherwise, they feel you're just kind of just gonna get somebody who's just not gonna really help your team when you when you need him to. Um, but I think talent-wise, he's better than Rasmussen. I don't know if he's good. I don't know if I would actually take him though over Rasmussen in a one-for-one trade today. Right, just because you Ras, Rasmussen may not be a top-line player, but you f- feel pretty good. And and that was the whole that was the thing at the time. People were like, "Look, he's gonna play in the NHL. It's probably gonna be on your third line." And then, so the, I think the criticism I, I, was the Red Wings finally had a top ten pick for the first yeah. time in a million years in the draft, and a guy that people are immediately saying, "Hey, this is a middle six forward." Yeah, like, I think he could be on a second line. Like, I don't think it's out of the question. Yeah, but yeah. like, yeah, he is not a he is not a star caliber player. Um, all right, so so that like you touched on Vlardy, that's your the Kings made a kind of a bit of a drop from an A minus in seventeen to a C. Um, the Wild, I don't want to get I want to get into some positives, but the Wild went from a B minus to a D. Tough go for an organization. Yeah, that I think that I think it's just because I overrated uh, Ivan Lodney a bit, and also Mason Shaw, who I still do like, has also just been so injured that it's been it's tough to still be optimistic about him right now. Yeah. Um, uh, here, here's a good one. Here's a good jump. The Ottawa Senators. You gave them a C minus in seventeen. Uh, now a B. Yeah, the and they're a, they're a weird one because I'm not really that big a fan of their first round pick. Right. And, and even with that in mind, I still really like their draft. That's Shane Bowers, right? Yeah. And yeah. he's a fine-ish player. He's had some struggles in the pro level since since he signed um, with Colorado now. Right. Um, he was part of the Matt Shane trade. Yep. Um, but uh, Drake Batherson, who was a fourth-round pick by them, um, has just been awesome. He's he struggled in the NHL when he was called up when he was not when he called up when he, when he broke camp with them this season, uh, but he's just been dominant in the American League. Um, I think he could be a really good top six forward one day. Alex Formanton, their second round pick, um, has also looked really good as a pro. Not a super high end skill type, but he's kind of been that kind of guy I've learned to appreciate just because of his skating, his compete level. I think he's going to be a really good player. Um, at the time of the draft, I really just didn't know Batherson that well. And that's been something I've learned to, you know, going back into the players I got wrong thing. Like, like I, like if I was doing this now, I wouldn't know who Batherson was. Like, I mean, I not, maybe I may, I'm not sure if I would have, I wouldn't have liked him, but I would have done my homework on him. And I felt like at the time, I just, just didn't really know the player at yeah. all. And Formanton, I knew, and I just probably didn't appreciate much as I did. However, however he was another one of those uh, Examples like a Beecher you mentioned before, just playing on a really deep team and yeah. didn't get a lot of ice time, and uh, he was a tough one to evaluate. But the skating was stood out even when you watched him when he didn't play that much. If Bathurst, like if you know they get a they get a top six forward out of round four there, that's that's a, in what was really not regarded as a great draft. Like that's the other thing about this draft is it wasn't universally loved. Um, same grade A minus for the Flyers. Um, which I thought was a bit generous, knowing what we know now about the top of that draft. Yeah, well, I, I don't grade on relative value. I just grade on how much talent they acquire, and we'll see what okay. happens with Nolan. So Patrick. you're not. You, so you're, when you regrade it, you don't sit there and go, "Boy, why, no." To be, get an A, an a yeah, you needed to take Cal McCarr. The, the reason I do that is I think that's a 
that's a real mathematical process you would need to engage in, like what's the value of this pick versus what's the value of this player, and I don't have the wherewithal to do that for 210 picks. Okay. Um, so I just look at Morgan Frost, who I think is going to be a really good top six forward. I look at Nolan Patrick, who, if healthy, I think will be a good top six forward. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of – I like Isaac Ratcliffe, their second-round pick, and I like some of their other picks they've made in that class to where I think like in, in the, 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 like the culmination of this is a pretty good class. You know, we'll see what happens with Patrick, obviously. Like, it's, it's still so early in, in the draft process that it's hard to reasonably argue him below a lot of other guys just because he has the NHL track record. He has the talent. But the migraine disorder is obviously a very scary injury. Yeah, not scary because like I said I'm not. I don't pretend to be a doctor, but it's unique. Like you don't really hear that ever happen to a lot of guys. So you wonder what the future is there exactly. But you hope for the best. And and when healthy, he's he's a he's a not a star, but I think he's a pretty good player. Um, interesting one, St. Louis Blues. This is not a great change, but I, I was I'm curious because this is where they get Robert Thomas, yeah, twentieth uh, overall. Uh, who contributed to a Stanley Cup? Whose name you've heard, you were you, you kicked around maybe in trade rumors, but mostly because that's who everybody would want. I, I don't imagine St. Louis is trying to move him. Yeah, and he hasn't had like a great, great season this yeah. year. But I I see a guy with high end skill, high end high end brain. He can skate. Um, he had this. He was uh, well, it wasn't like amazing, but he was pretty good in the playoffs. Um, like I just I just see he's a, he's a he's a really he's a really good player, and you know. I had in the in the re in the redraft like I did like a little ranking at the end yeah. there that was that I thought that got more attention than I thought it was going to get, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I put him at like I think a five and like I think he's like reasonably like in that five to ten range that you would put there but yeah. like he's he's a great player and like, I think where they got him which was around twenty like like yeah like that, that was that was that, that was huge value for them and I still think Clem Costin, their other first round pick is going to play and be a good player. He got a couple of games this season, and in the American League, he's been pretty good, not not great. But I see a guy with a really exciting toolkit, and I think I think they're going to get two. I think they're going to get two quality NHL players out of that draft. Yeah, that's that's good. So I, the other interesting one, I remember at the time everybody loved uh, Toronto grabbing Timothy Lilligren when they did, and I still think uh, last year I was less high on him, but like this year I've watched him and he's been good. Like he's playing big minute on a very good AHL team and yeah. a driver. You know, their low grade is not because I don't like Lilligren. Like, I still think like, I think he's going to be like a 4-5 defenseman. You gave him a C. Seems like you don't like him that much. No, no, right. right. It's like, I don't think he's going to be like a stud, but I think, he's right. like, I think he's a number four, number five defenseman. That's a good player, but I just don't really see anything else coming out of that draft. Like, okay. Like, Ian Scott might play, but he's been injured all season. Um, I think he's what he showed last season is he could be like a backup goalie. Yeah. Um, but other than that, like there's a lot of guys in that draft. You're like maybe, maybe not kind of thing. Like um, their their day two doesn't look that sharp in hindsight. But Lilligren, like, like I don't know if he goes like around like eighteen, nineteen in a redraft. But like I presume he goes like somewhere in the, in the twenty five to thirty five range. I would say in a redraft. Yeah. Another interesting one, the Vegas Golden Knights. This was their first draft. Yeah. I remember everybody loved their draft at the time, and it's and it has stood the test of time and was ended up being a key portion of, of them being able to acquire Mark uh, Stone. Yeah, and I think a, a one big reason for you know, obviously at the time everyone loved you know the, the three first round picks, uh, Cody Glass, Nick Suzuki, Eric Brandstrom. Yeah. Um, but their draft, I think, looks really good, not just because of their day one, because of their day two. 
Mm. Um, you know, on, on day two, they got Nick Hague, who is not like, you know, an elite prospect, but he's playing NHL games for them right now. Yeah. He looks like he's going to be a, uh, an NHL player for, you know, for, for the foreseeable future. And they also got, uh, in the later rounds, they got Lucas Elvinus, who has a 20-year-old, is like around a point a game in the American League right now. Really high-end skill guy, a driver on Chicago, and someone I think could be a top six forward one day. They also got Jack Dugan, who is leading college hockey by a, an enormous number right now. Like I think, like looking up quickly, like he has 33 points, um, leading the league by six. That with next to his teammates Tyce Thompson, the next non-Providence player has 24 points, and then nearly like a 10-point gap right there between the third highest scorer in college hockey. So wow. uh, he's a he's a bit of an older player. He's not. I think he was thinking he was. I think he might have been passed over once mm-hmm. in the draft. I, I, may, I forget, might be forgetting that detail, but he's a really good player, and I'm like, he, he's he's the favorite to win the Hobie Baker right now, and that's an, you know that combined with the fact that I think Nick Suzuki looked from watching with Montreal, he's been awesome yeah. this year. Cody Glass has been very good. Eric Brandstrom struggled with Ottawa, but I still think he's going to be a pretty good player over the long term. Well, it doesn't matter. Like he, they got they, they got you know they get Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone out of this draft. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh no, is, yeah, for sure. Like I, I'm just talking about the draft. Yeah, right. You know, no, no, you know, right. That, that's what I do. I don't even. No, I know. Yeah, you know, I'm in my own little zone. Yeah. Start talking about this stuff. Um, yeah. So they're they're. I tell you what, George McPhee, like that's that's his first draft. His calling card in Washington was constantly maxing out the Capitals drafts. Yeah, and I would. He say, has a long track record of doing well yeah and i would say from talking to people around the league there's a lot of respect for the way vegas does their business yeah in terms of their whole hockey operations side like there's That's a good group th- eh? there, there's a peep there's a there's a lot of respect for, for for that group right now um all right let's wrap up by going over so then you just kind of tacked on at the end yeah i talked about, i talked to my editor yeah so, 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 like oh this will be fine like i'll just do I'll just do this for fun and then I'll, like become like the, became like the focus of the article <laughs> yeah you said okay the top 29 players from the 2017 draft i don't know if you were looking at this as a redraft or just my ranking like if i had to do your, it, if you were just straight straight ranking and draft list what, you know right. it was a I thought it would be a fun idea. Again, I would, I'm not going – so in terms of people we talked about on this podcast, you had um, – you had – I'm looking at Rasmussen, 19, Middlestat, 11, Nolan Patrick, 12. Oh, uh, Owen Tippett was another guy that was a bit of a uh, – I remember that, that year was a bit of a guy that and had a lot He's of having a great year right now. Like all all yeah. the reports from scouts have been real positive. He's been a driver for a, for a top-scoring team in the American League. Like he's, he's looked really promising. Um, I'll give the top five is Pedersen, Makar, Heiskanen, Heeshear, and Thomas. What? So what's what was the response when you rolled this out? What, any any good debate uh, that was created? Uh, Makar versus Heiskanen was one. Whether Middlestad or Middlestad and Patrick Slottings were 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 pretty divisive. Yeah. Um, and I think you can you know argue all of those two guys like as much as you want. You know, they're th- those aren't easy ones. Um, I think you know overall like we're uh, Tolvanen obviously is a bit of a divisive player just because of his his kind of up and down play over the, over the last few years. Um, those were the main ones that that came to mind. There were plenty of others in terms of like guys that were or were not in it. Oh yeah, Yoka Hart. Some some people thought were t- was too low. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those those are the main ones that came to mind. It's interesting. Uh, how many of these guys are on different teams already? I mean, not a ton, but yeah, for was, a draft that's only a couple years old. Yeah, there was a lot of movement. Josh f- Norris is in another organization. Number like, number five was a tough one for me. Like you know, looking at that group of players, was there anybody you would put at number five that that, that you wouldn't other than Thomas? Mm, seven Cause I feel like, maybe. Because I, I feel like three was like. 
the top three was like top three is a top three. Like, and the, I think you got to put Nico at four just because like he's still been a he's not hasn't been a stud, but he's been a yeah. pretty damn good player. Like, but number five, it's like okay, is there anybody like anybody other than that that's like really risen to the top of the crop there? Like, no, in terms of where they are, uh, no. I, like I, I, I feel like they're all like kind of like in a group there, and like you know, pick your preference kind of thing. I want to go into the comment section now. What were people? We're, the most we're going to read comments. No, on, we're not. On the Maybe air right a, now? no. I, although that's what we did. Was, I, I, it wouldn't be the first time. Um, you know, the, the comment sections on my articles get very interesting. Yeah. You know, just because I'm in the business of criticizing people, so you know. Right. So it's not a. It's yeah. not a. You just not. You're not getting a ton of. Uh, this is why I subscribe no, to the athletics. Every now and then there is that, and I appreciate that. But you know, there's not a bunch of I love you, Craig. You're the best. What a wonderful. Piece why would of journalism. they say that on your stories? That would be a little weird. I mean, <laughs> you, that is that is that is true. But you get the point I'm making yes. in general. Yeah. There's there's that's why I like I I don't mind I, I like to jump into the comments in mine but then when it's like a ranking or something I don't it's it just gets nasty so I just sit those out right but you know we you were you know you were around in the days when ESPN when there used to be a comment section yeah so we when we were there towards the end they phased that out and used Facebook comments and I think they just stopped using those in general yeah but like when there used to be like ESPN.com comments on ESPN Insider articles those were just like a train wreck <laughs> those were, those were rough. Um, yeah, I would say the athletic, and so we are encouraged, uh, you know, by. But, but the, my my the, theory was is as as the athletic grew and got more subscribers, it was just going to just grow the closer, closer to what. To that. I, it's played out that way, I would say, on some level. Um, I, like early on, like the people that were subscribing, like if if people followed you on like day one, they were Corey Promen fans. So like they were just like, yes, Corey's the best. Like the first ten articles you wrote. Yes, and then they, I think I remember like the day after like Russo signed up because I was there oh before Russo yeah. signed up, and like I remember like the first comment on, on, on my article was like, this does not like live up to the quality of Mike Russo's <laughs> writing. <laughs> so that's what you do. What's 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 the fan base grew out of your uh, your diehards? It was yeah, it's. But I will say this: we, you know, we like to interact, and some, you're good about that. Um, I, you know, I and I appreciate that that you're you're willing to dive in that and have some back and forth. Um, we, you know, we we like to, you know, I mean, these are the people paying the tab, right? So we definitely oh, encourage no, I, and, and that's back why and I and, and that's why I do a lot of stuff. Like most of the stuff I do in the first half, because there's nothing new to talk about, because the season's still on, ongoing. And I'm evaluating players right now, so this is a perfect time for me just to be transparent. And I think my readers, the readers, appreciate this because they, you know. Not every now and then, because I had to block some people on Twitter last night after Middlesex got sent down the American League, who were just being a little too vicious. Yeah. But generally, they, you know, I think people, most of our readers are reasonable people who are just trying to pay for for quality analysis and reporting, yeah. and I think they expect us to be transparent. And for the most part, you know, I was kidding before, but for, for the most part, that tends to be useful commentary and 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 reasonable discussions. Every now and then, it gets off the rails though. All right. Well, Corey, thanks for doing this. Before we go, do you want do you want to you want to give me your gold medal winner for the World Junior? Because I probably won't talk to you before. You don't do that. Do you do that? You seem like the kind of person who be like, I, I don't give my gold medal winner out until the day before the tournament starts because I want to have his. No, I wouldn't do that. My my answer is much more boring than that one. I say I don't give it out because it's a single elimination tournament. And oh jeez. Oh, here we go. It's exactly. Too unpredictable. Exactly. It's you know I think you know the two best rosters are in the United States and Canada. I would say Canada's the favorite from what I've seen, but uh, I think it's pretty close between those two teams in terms of the best roster. Sweden and Finland um, rosters have been a little bit devastated, um, so I'd say it's it's between those two, and I would give the edge to Canada. All right. 
Good. Well, Corey, thanks for doing this. We're going to wrap this whole podcast up right now here on the spot. So thanks, Corey, for doing this. Um, I also want to encourage you this week's full regular episode of the Full 60. Last week, we, um, or this week's guest is Megan Chaika, who is, uh, she is one of the co-founders of Staff Leads. Her and I had a fantastic conversation um, about analytics and her what it's like to launch a company in that world during this time in, in the hockey world. And so that was great. Last week was Cami Granado. So I'd also encourage you, if you have not listened to that, to check out that episode. If you're a fan of the podcast, especially if you like these um, prospect once a month, I'd like to get feedback on this, either on Twitter or if you want to leave it, only if you like it. If you like it, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. Uh, if you don't like it, we will never have Corey on again. Just let me know on Twitter. Corey's done to jump in. What, what Corey? No. no? <laughs> so yeah, if you want to, it, it helps us out a ton to get your feedback. One way or the other um, helps us out most if you leave a review. Thanks again to Corey for joining the podcast and the bonus episode. And thank you for listening and have a great week.